Well, you, those of you who are here on a regular basis, you notice I didn't read a text. I'm not going to preach a text tonight. I'm still uh, in this impromptu sermon series that the Lord's laid on my heart. Um, I had planned to do something else in January and February, but um, uh, I'm somewhat enamored with just what the Lord's putting on my mind. Um, as He simply really is calling me to count my blessings uh, and the privileges I have because I belong to Him. And we've been talking about these things the last few weeks. You may remember three weeks ago we talked about the fact that we get to pray. Um, not in some goofy way. <laughs> you know, not praying our will, but praying God's will. Sitting in His lap, talking to God, listening to God, being changed by God. This is what prayer is. It's not a uh, gimme, gimme, gimme kind of thing. It's I love you more than anything else, Lord. Teach me your ways. Give me your will, Lord, for my life. That's what I want. I want to magnify you above all things. So we get to pray. Uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about we get to worship. It's not that we ought to worship or we should worship. We get to worship. We are in relationship with the living God, our Creator, our Redeemer. We get to. It's not, oh, I have to. We get to. We get to worship the living God. We get to be in relationship with the living God. We get to magnify the glory of His name on the earth in our words and in our deeds. <laughs> it's, a, it's an awesome privilege. And I challenged you, have you thanked, ever thanked God for the privilege to worship Him? It's something that I had not done until about two weeks ago. I had thanked Him for many things, but I had never thanked Him for the dimension of worship in my life. I would be so impoverished if I did not have that dimension, if I could not relate intimately with God in worship. Last week we talked about the fact that we get to obey. We get to obey. Again, it's not about ought and should. I get to obey God. I get to. <laughs> I get to. Because I'm His. Because He's changed me. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And because I'm alive, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I'm alive in God. I'm alive in Christ. He's made me alive. I was dead. I was on my way to hell. This is the clear teaching of the Bible. I was dead in my sin. I was a child of wrath. But now I'm alive. I get to obey the Lord. Not in some goofy, superficial way, uh, merely religious way, but I get to obey Him. Not simply to the letter, but in spirit. I get to obey the Lord where I work, in my marriage, in the neighborhood, at the university. I get to obey the Lord. I get to make much of Jesus in my obedience. And what happens? Does anybody remember what happens in obedience? We talked a lot about it last week. What happens in obedience? What's that great John 14, 21 promise? What happens in obedience? We get what? What do we get when we obey the Lord. We get more of the Lord. We get disclosure. John 14, 21, it's that life-changing, addicting promise, I get more of God. And who doesn't want more of God? If you don't want more of God, you haven't met Him yet. The only way you could not want more of Jesus Christ is that you have not met Him yet. Because once you meet Him, <laughs> yeah, everything else pales. Everything else Fails compared to him. We talked a lot about last week that we get the, the Matthew 13:44 thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. 
Any Christian who's caught a glimpse of Jesus will forego any and all things to possess Him more fully. It's why we obey. Again, it's not about I ought to do or I should or I have some burden on me. God expects me to do X, Y, Z. I want to do X, Y, Z. I want to do the Word of God because Jesus discloses Himself to me. He is my treasure. And someone tell me, He is my what? Pleasure. He is both of these things. This is what I've learned as a Christian. God is not only my treasure, Matthew 13, 44. He is my pleasure. He's my maximum pleasure. There's no pleasure on this planet that could compare to knowing our Creator and knowing our Redeemer. An infinite being. An infinitely glorious being. An infinitely beautiful being. I'm in relationship with Him. <laughs> I'm in relationship with Him. I have found my treasure. I have found my pleasure. I love what John Piper, American preacher, says. He says, we are not moderately interested in Christ. Now, if you're moderately interested in Christ, again, I'm going to say this, I don't think, well, I know you haven't met Him yet. If you're only moderately interested in Christ, you can't be a disciple and be only moderately interested. You'll never obey in a radical way if you're only moderately interested. You'll never do it. You'll play religion a little bit when it's convenient, but you'll never get into radical obedience. You'll never really truly walk with Christ if it's only a, you know, moderate kind of thing. This is a passionate thing. It goes back to what Elijah was saying. To walk with your Creator? <laughs> does, it, does it get any better? Than that, we know that everything has changed. We were dead, but now we are alive. I love how American preacher and author Randy Alcorn talks about this. He says that in meeting Jesus, nothing will ever be the same again. Amen? And then he goes on to say, nor will we ever want it to be. Right? I don't want to go back. I can't go back. I can't live like the world anymore. It's too small. It's too confining. It's just not that interesting to me anymore. The things of the world don't interest me quite so much as they used to because now I'm in love with Christ. Now I can see eternity. Now I can see a forever with Him. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> to call yourself a Christian and say you are moderately interested. Again, when it's convenient. Again, this is an oxymoron. There are no backward glances in the born-again Christian adventure. We, we are looking at the Bema Seat. We are looking at our Master and our Lord. And we are on our way to Him. I shared this with you last Week I've shared it two or three times in the last few years. That, that great Casting Crowns lyric in their song, To Know You, I love this. This is who we are. This is, this is who disciples are. To know you is to ache for more than the temporary. Amen? To know Christ is to ache for more than this. Then they go on, To know you is to look beyond the temporary. I love that. We are looking beyond. We are looking beyond. We are aliens. We are exiles upon 
the earth. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We are not half-hearted creatures and we are not far too easily pleased. <laughs> we will not settle for the paltry pleasures of this life. We praise God for them. He gives many pleasures in this, in this life, in the, in, the, in the physical realm, in the temporal realm. He gives many pleasures. Praise God. All pleasures, all good things come from His benevolent hand. We praise God for them. But I'm not going to give my life to them. I don't give my heart and my mind to them. I'm not in pursuit of them. If God brings them into my life, praise the Lord, I'm in pursuit of God. He's my pleasure. He's my treasure. Matthew 13.44 it's what true conversion always looks like. It always looks like that. I love Charles Spurgeon, a famous 19th century preacher in England. He says, every true Christian is spoiled for this world. Don't you love that? I love that. Spoiled for this world. What does that mean? It means I'm here, and as Paul said, we talked about the last few weeks, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm here to be used of Christ, to make much of Christ, to be His disciple, to sow good seed, that people might come to know Christ. I'm here to, to be His disciple. I'm here to be His servant. I'm His steward. It's all about Christ. If I live, it's all about Christ. If I die, it's all about Christ. I'll be with Christ. So we're spoiled for the world. It just doesn't have the allure for us that it once had. I'm not saying that that uh, this in a morbid way, I'm saying in a, in a liberating, powerful way. We are free. We are on our way to heaven. We are on our way to be with God. Yeah, try and stop me from obeying Christ. I'm only here for a few moments. I've only got a few moments left. I'm 60 years old. I'm the oldest guy in the room. I always am now. I'm all, uh, you know, I've noticed that a few years ago. I'm always the oldest guy in the room. I'm closer to home than anybody else in this room, right? Uh, at least chronologically speaking. And in one sense, I can't wait. We talked about it last week, that tension, that tension. The tension. Paul says, it, I, I, I would like to go because it's very much better, you know. Uh, but, but, but he says, I, I'll, I'll stay uh, to serve you. We stay to serve the Lord. We stay to serve the body of Christ. We stay, stay to serve the lost. So we know the truth. His name is Jesus and I know this word is grossly overused and abused. But it, it really is a word that only should be reserved for Christ. He is awesome. He is awesome. In eternity past, the Bible makes it clear that the triune God set His heart upon His people. He came for us and the person of the Son. He died for us. He shed His blood for us. And we are irrevocably His. We are irreversibly His. <laughs> no one can ever change that. No man, no army of men, no army of nations, no demon, no army of demons, no army of Lucifer's can change the fact that I belong to Christ. I have been purchased. I am no longer my own. What does Paul say? You're not your own. Therefore, therefore glorify God. This is what we understand as believers. So real lovers of Jesus, the real disciple, we get to pray. 
We get to worship. We get to obey. And this probably should have been before. We get to obey. I, I, I just thought of it this week. Um, I realized I get to believe. I get to believe awesome things because I'm in relationship with this awesome God. I get to believe unbelievable things, right? I get to believe unbelievable things. That the cross was about me. Obviously, first and foremost, it was about the glory of God. The glory of the grace of God. But I'm caught up in that as He redeems me. The most important thing that will ever happen upon planet Earth, I am involved in. Because He's redeeming me in it. It's the most important thing that will happen on any planet anywhere in the whole cosmos. Jesus redeeming His people. So we get to believe jaw-dropping things, breathtaking things. And we know that they will happen. They will come true. All the promises of God will come true. Why will they come true? Oh, it's a hard answer. Because He's God. He's God. And no one can turn back the outstretched arm of Jehovah God. No one can stay the hand of God. He does all that He pleases. I can believe every promise. I can live every promise. Because He's God. It doesn't mean we get to dictate to God how and when and where God will perform for us. It's never about that, beloved. It's never about that. I think you know if you've been here very long, you know that that's not what I'm saying. But as God wills in God's perfect purposes... We can live any promise He puts in front of us. We can. We get to believe huge. We get to believe unbelievable things. And I'm just going to say to you, as I say to you quite often, if you're living your Christianity in a very small, superficial, pedestrian kind of way, that's on you. It's on you. We have all this freedom and power in Christ. If you are, you know, effectively living like the world, thinking like the world, processing life like the world, it's on you. Your God is God. He is a promise keeper. He is a promise keeper. If you're living it small, you're refusing to believe that God is who God says He is. You are refusing to believe that He can do what He says He can do. You are refusing to believe Hebrews 11.6. God says real faith not only believes that He is God. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? Real faith believes, and I know I, was, I end up back with Hebrews 11 a lot. Real faith believes what? That God is is and that God is a rewarder. That's right, Elijah. God is and God is good. The reason most professed Christians never do anything, never take a risk for Christ, the reason is they don't really believe He's good. They want to say, I believe He's there. Well, most of the world believes He's there. I don't think atheism is that pervasive. I think maybe, maybe 6, 7, 8% max. I don't even think it's that high. Most of the rest of the world believes there's some kind of supreme, supreme being. That's not the issue. Obviously, the issue in Hebrews 11 is we don't just believe in some God. We believe in the God. 
His name is Jesus Christ. And we believe He's a good God. So yes, I'll walk with Him. I'll be His disciple. He's not just God. He is a good God. And I love how Hebrews 11.1, 1, I love how um, it defines faith for us. The King James, New King James, the best translation as far as I'm concerned. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Christian faith is not some ethereal Pollyanna rose-colored glasses kind of thing. It's not vague. It's not nebulous. It's not insubstantial. It's not groundless human optimism. Our faith is in God. We don't have faith in faith as the prosperity guys want to teach you. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in our God. And I think it's accurate to say God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. I looked it up this afternoon because I didn't have it in my notes until this afternoon. But what is biblical hope? What is the definition of biblical hope? What is it? I wrote it down for you. It's desire with expectation. We have an expectation, as, as Peter says there in 1 Peter chapter 1, an, imper an imperishable inheritance. Our expectation is an imperishable inheritance. There's a certitude about it. There's a, an assurance about it. There's a confidence about it. Right? Kill me if you must. If we perish, we perish. Right? <laughs> but I will be Jesus. He's my King. He's my God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I obey Jesus. Not perfectly. None of us do. But that's who I'm, that's who I'm pointing at. I'm pointing at Jim Albright being the very best disciple he can be. Even on that hard day. You know? I just want to be a worthy servant so, beloved, we get to believe. And because we get to believe, we are free to live our faith huge. <laughs> we have no limitations. Our God is God and nobody else is. So tonight I thought I'd take just a few minutes and look at some real believers and see how it changed the way they lived their life. I think this might be helpful for, for you. I'm certain that it will be helpful for me. We'll look at how they incarnated their belief in the living God. They really believed. They really obeyed. And because they really obeyed, God was magnified in their life. Don't you want that? Let me ask you. Don't you want God to be magnified in your life when you get up in the morning? Isn't that what you want tomorrow more than anything else? God be magnified in my life. God, do, do your... your do your all-pervasive, inclusive will in my life tomorrow. I don't really care about anything else. I want your will. I want to magnify Christ tomorrow. That's what I want. More than I want comfort. More than I want ease. More than I want acclaim. More than I want wealth. More than I want security. I'm going to go back to a verse I quoted earlier, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'll just, I'll just want to stop and ask, do you really believe that? Is that obvious to everyone who encounters you? That you are free because you believe in the real God, not some cartoon God. 
you believe in Jesus Christ. And you incarnate that as I think Francis Assisi said, preach the Gospel at all times, use words if necessary, right? <laughs> Your whole life is, is a, test, a testament to who Jesus Christ is. He's God. He's Creator. He's Redeemer. He's my pleasure and He's my treasure. Let's look at Abraham real quick. We talked about him some last week. I won't go into much detail, but he is the father of faith. So it seems right to, to, talk, to talk about him at first. You know, God told Abraham a shocking thing, and we, we touched on it last week. God says, I'm your reward, right? <laughs> it's not like, well, I'm going to give you a lot of money, or I'm going to let you uh, be famous, or you know, I'm going to set you up in a mansion. God says, I'm your reward forever. I'm your reward forever and ever and ever. I'm your reward. This is an astonishing thing. And God makes a, another miraculous promise uh, to, to, to Abraham. He promises that, that he and Sarah, who is barren, will have a son from their own body. That son will be the, the miracle child, the child of promise, right? And then you may remember Genesis 15.6, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord, right? He didn't believe in some God. He believed in the Lord. He believed in the Lord that is. The only Lord that is. Jehovah God. He's the only Lord there is. All other so-called lords are imposters. Abraham believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. What is Abraham believing in Genesis 15? He's believing in the promised child who is Isaac. But what is the bigger promise? Who comes through Isaac? Who comes through Isaac? Jesus Christ! The Messiah is going to come through Isaac. Abraham is believing in Messiah. And God reckons it to him as righteousness. Abraham's simply believing the same thing you and I believe. He's looking forward even as we look back. He's believing Messiah. God told, him in, in, God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that through, all, uh, that through his, his son, through his seed, his miracle seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Messiah is coming through Isaac. It's the essence of what Abraham was believing. He believed in the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's important. It's what the New American Standard, it's how it translates it. Abraham believed in the Lord. And it's the caveat I always mention in talking about biblical faith. It's not just mental assent to historical facts. It's believing in such a way that you come out of death and into life. That's what biblical faith always is. I know people try to dumb it down to where it's simply, oh, I, I said some words, I believe it in my head. Jesus was a person, He died on the cross, His blood shed for me, blah, blah, blah. But their life never changes. That's, that's pseudo-Christianity. It's just false. It's just false. You can't read the New Testament and understand that that is false. So I always want to make that, that caveat. The true Christian believes in such a way that there's a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of desire, a change of affection, a change of direction, and a change of destiny. It's the kind of believing that saves a man's soul. 
It's the kind of believing that comes forth from the regenerate heart when the Holy Spirit does that miracle in the heart of His people. So yeah, we get to believe this life is radically changed and our forever is radically changed. Our lives are open to every breathtaking promise God has ever made. We get to believe. I see it all the time. I've seen it for 32 years. And I'm not saying I'm not guilty at times. Christians who simply take all of this for granted. It's just, it, never, it never informs you know, their life. It doesn't inform their joy. It doesn't create passion in the depths of their soul. It doesn't animate their anticipation and expectation. It's just some religion I do on the side. That's not Christianity, beloved. It's just not. It doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. That kind of, that kind of living. Let me throw in here real quick Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now says the Lord your Creator, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are Mine. Everything changes, right? You are Mine. Everything changes. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Do you believe in that, Lord? Do you believe in that, God? I think I used that verse uh, four weeks ago when I preached the 23rd Psalm. God says, you are mine. Abraham believed in the Lord. It's how He was justified. You and I are saved the same way. We must believe in the Lord. Abraham got to believe and taught us how God saves His people by sovereign grace through the faith, through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Abraham, I want you to hear this. Abraham believed and God revealed to the whole world how God would save a people for the glory of His name by faith. Abraham got to believe and God revealed the way of salvation to the whole world. God does awesome things to those or through those who really believe. And beloved, what I'm staying here, standing here tonight saying to you is you get to believe. If you take this for granted, shame on you. Shame on me. You get to believe. You get to believe because God has set His heart on you. God has come for you. God has died for you. You get to believe! Don't you dare let it be small! And I'm preaching to myself, as I often confess. Don't let it be small on Monday morning. Don't let it be small at the office. You get to believe God. And you're caught up as I was praying. You're caught up in all the kingdom work that God is doing. You're right smack dab in the middle of it. You're caught up in it. You get to be a part of it. Your life always matters. I don't care how hard it is or how low you are. Your life always matters. You're caught up in the kingdom work. Amen? Always. That will never change. Next, I thought of Moses. You guys know the story. Exodus chapter 3, he tried, to, he tried to pass on it. 
at least four times. He wasn't too keen on God's call. Uh, but you know, if you've walked with Jesus, you know sometimes you get called to do hard things. And the whole point of that is that you can't do it yourself. It's not about Moses' resume. It's about the resume of God. And I hope you already know that when God calls you to do hard things, it's not about your resume. It's about God's resume. And so God brings us to the thing that we can't do without Him. It's because faith pleases God. It pleases God that we believe Him. And what I'm saying to you tonight is it pleases me that I get to believe Him. Some of you probably have never put that thought together. Faith pleases God, but what I'm saying to you is it pleases me that I get to believe Him. I told you last week He shouldn't have saved me. I was worthless. I was a blasphemer. I cursed His name. I cursed His people. Oh, I played religion on Sunday. I was greedy. I was selfish. He should have never saved me, but He did. He did. He did. I'm still amazed. <laughs> I hope you are amazed as well. Not simply that He saved me, but that He saved you. So Moses believed and God used him to deliver His people from bondage. God uses His power for those who really believe. And beloved, you get to believe because of what God has done in your life. The next I thought of Joshua. You remember Joshua 6. The Exodus Jews were coming to the impregnable city of Jericho. There was no way they could bring down the walls of Jericho. Well, God says, I got this one. You just do what I tell you, I got it, right? <laughs> it's a great story. Um, so the people obeyed. God showed up. The walls came down. Amen? So God does a miraculous thing through those who really believe. And beloved, you get to believe. And I thought of Gideon. You guys know the story. I love Gideon. I've preached it many times. Jude, uh, Judges chapter 6 and 7. Gideon, like Moses, wasn't too sure he was the man for the job. But God meant to turn this whimpering farmer into a valiant warrior. It's how God addressed him when he showed up. So Gideon is 300 guys outnumbered 450 to 1. Uh, God uses them to rout the enemy. So Gideon believed and God used him to get the victory for Israel. God gives victory to those who really believe. And beloved, you get to really believe. I thought of David next. You know the account, 1 Samuel 17, the little boy who killed the giant. The giant mocked. The giant laughed. You remember what David said to Goliath? I love this. David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Listen, you got a problem? <laughs> whatever it is, whatever your giant is, address it in the name of the Lord. Come to it in the name of the Lord. I love that. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord and He will deliver you into My hand. I will strike you down. I will remove your head. And destroy, your, and destroy your army, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, for the battle is the Lord's. And the text says, thus David prevailed. What a beautiful text. It's what happens when God's people really believe giants are felled. And beloved, what I'm saying to you tonight is you get to really believe. Then I thought of King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. A great multitude was coming against Judah. And Jehoshaphat called out to God in prayer. He says, we 
do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God replies, you do not need to fight, for the battle is not yours, it is mine. Station yourself to observe the salvation of the Lord. Don't you love it? <laughs> and Jehoshaphat, they were so assured of victory. What did, you remember what they did? They put the choir out front. Aratio, they put the praise team out front. Right there on the battle line. The praise team was out on the battle line. And then the praise team, they started singing praises and worshiping God, and God routed the enemy. And the invaders were annihilated. God fights for those who really believe. And beloved, you get to believe. You get to believe. I thought about Job. You know his story. He lost everything and everything but his cranky old wife. It was a perfect storm. And you remember what Job did. Job worshipped his God. I love, obviously he struggled mightily. Who wouldn't? But through it all, Job did not sin nor blame God holding fast to his integrity. Job was at the bottom, but he never stopped believing. God was Job's consolation, and God showed up in the storm, and God filled up the heart and the mind of Job. It was all Job. God was all that Job needed ultimately. Job worshiped again. Beloved, we get to believe God in the storm. We get to believe God in the storm. Then I thought about Jeremiah. Limitations chapter 3. Jeremiah has just written, I have forgotten happiness and my strength has perished. And even though his situation was dire, he believed. You know this great famous text, Lamentations 3, 21-25. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope the Lord's loving kindnesses, plural, indeed they never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to those who seek Him. God is faithful to those who really believe. Jeremiah really believed. And God's loving kindnesses were enough as he experienced that dreadful Destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Beloved, we get to believe when everything else has hit the fan. We get to believe. We get to believe. And I'm just going to close out our time together. Just some promises. These are certainly not <laughs> exhaustive. Just a few promises. Some of my favorite from Scripture. Some of the things we get to believe because we belong to Christ. And we don't just believe them in a theoretical, academic kind of way. We believe them and we incarnate them, right? We incarnate them. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. As I said earlier, out of sin, out of death, out of hell. Listen to Jeremiah 32.40-41 I will make with you an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to you. I will put the fear of me in your hearts. 
that you may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing you good with all my heart and with all my soul. Beloved, I don't care how hard it is or how dark it is or how bleak it is in your life. You get to believe these things because your God is a sovereign, almighty, omnipotent God. No one can frustrate Him. These promises are yours to hold and to live. You remember John 17, 9, Jesus is praying to His Father. He says, I don't pray on behalf of the world, but those whom You have given to Me, for they are Yours. Jesus is praying for you. And as, as Romans 8 tells us, the Holy Spirit is praying for us with groanings too deep. We don't know how to pray, but the second and third member of the Trinity is praying for us. You remember how David talked about the watch care of God. The Lord is a shield about me. My shield is the Lord. I'm not going to give you the references. If you want them, ask me. I'll email them. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, in whom I take refuge. In the day of trouble, God will conceal me in His tabernacle. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. God is my hiding place. He uh, preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against mine enemies. Let me, let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. God is a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exalt over you with shouts of joy. God says in Psalm 149.4 For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Psalm 147.11 The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Psalm 35.27 The Lord delights in the welfare of His servants. Beloved, you get to believe everything God has said in His Word. Every last thing. If you belong to Christ, if you have truly repented of your sins, and you have placed your faith in Him, and you have been born again, all of these things are yours. They're yours. They're your inheritance. You get to live them huge now, and then you get to rejoice with God forever. These are supernatural things, God-sized things, liberating things, eternal things, infinite things. God showed us how He redeems through Abraham. God showed us His power through Moses. God showed us His miracles through Joshua. He showed us His victory through Gideon. He showed us how He knocks giants down in the lives of His people through David. He showed us that He fights for us through Jehoshaphat. He showed us that He is our consolation through Job. He showed us that His loving kindness never ceases through Jeremiah. How can any of this be small to you? I pray that it's not. I pray that you love it. I pray you get up every day and incarnate it. I just want to read. Uh, we're going to close here. I just want to read. You know what? I'm going to read it when we take the Lord's Supper. So keep in mind, what I'm carrying over to, to, the, to the communion table, it's the close of the sermon. We get to believe these things. We get to believe these things. We are the people of God. We are His people. So, we are going to...